shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast that looks at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and with me is William Thrasher. Hello everybody, it's great to be here. And this time around, we are looking at Robocop 3. Directed by Fred Decker, better known for, um, you know, writer-director of Monster Squad. Produced by Patrick Crowley, screenplay by Frank Miller and Fred Decker, based off a story by Frank Miller. Of course, based on characters by Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner, starring Robert John Burke. He's replacing, uh, what's his name this time around? (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, this is going to be a good show, isn't it? Um, Peter Weller. uh, Also starring Nancy Allen, Rip Torn, John Castle, Joe Hennessy, and CCH Pounder, and of course, Mako. Uh, music by Basil Peliodor. Cinematography by Gary B. Kibb. This originally came out in 1993 in the United States. And it did not do so hot. And was uh, released you know, pretty late in the bankruptcy process of Orion Pictures. This was actually filmed pretty shortly after RoboCop 2. But it was released after the fact. And unlike the RoboCop 1 and 2, it was filmed in Atlanta, Georgia. Instead of in Texas. So, RoboCop 3, uh, had you seen this before watching it for the show, Thrasher? This is the first time I've seen this movie all the way through. Uh, I had uh, walked in on it on cable uh, about a sure. year or two after it had first come out, and I I walked in on a particular scene, and I immediately walked out of the room and decided to find something else to do. <laughs> it's worth noting I buried the lead, but this RoboCop movie is PG-13. Unlike oh, the, uh, you can tell. Film. Uh huh. The whole the um, whole movie smacks yeah. of well, kids seem to like this character. Let's do something for the kids, right? And in fact, I you know originally saw RoboCop one, two, and three on the same weekend. I rented the trilogy when I worked at Blockbuster Video. Um, one of the few perks of the job is you could rent movies for free and even see stuff you know in advance ahead of time. Uh, back in the day, and we mainly worked with videotape. We had a little bit of DVD inventory, but um, yeah. So I mean, that's how I first watched RoboCop one, two, and three back to back on a glorious. A Saturday afternoon, Coca-Cola and grilled cheese sandwich in hand. And, That's the way um, to do it. Although maybe put some is... rum in that Coke. And uh, slip some bacon in that grilled cheese, if you know what I'm saying, ladies. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But um, I, I will say, I will start this off kind of like how I started off with RoboCop 2. I had the fortune of reading the uh, the graphic novel adaptation RoboCop The Last Stand, which was based off of Frank Miller's original script for RoboCop 3. And um, I'm going to give sort of like a high-level summary of what happens. And then, Thrasher, I want you to tell me if that sounds any more interesting than what we get in the actual film. <laughs> okay. And then we'll... Okay, so... Uh, and it's been a few weeks since I've read it. My memory's a bit rusty, but okay. So, I mean, like, the, the basic concepts of uh, Frank Miller's RoboCop 3 script are much closer to RoboCop 3 than, like, what we saw with RoboCop 2. Um, some differences, the Dr. Lazarus character programs RoboCop to be nice and sort of fall in love with her 
because she feels so jaded by humans. She feels the only, um, you know, person that she's met that's sort of pure of her heart is RoboCop because it's combination man and machine. Um, over with no half penis. this, uh, with no penis that we know of. Um, there, uh, Anne Lewis is killed um, off screen, so to speak, in the original script. They don't show it happen. Uh, you know, in sort of the years in between RoboCop 2 and RoboCop 3, RoboCop has been sort of, a, you know, like like the samurai uh, Ronin character, like a lone wolf. He's he's beat up. He's in uh, in poor repair, um, which that part sort of similar to the film. Uh, you know, like over half of the script, or at least it feels like it, um, is an epic fight between RoboCop and the robot ninja. Uh, instead of uh, RoboCop gets the modification of a gun arm late into the movie. As part of his repairs, um, the stuff with the rehabs is is similar. Uh, although instead of having like a little kid sidekick, it's a, a teenage girl um, who's more sort of like punk rock in her uh, uh, attitude and look. Um, at one point, Doctor Lazarus um, sort of transmutes herself into an electronic organism and she kind of looks like the electric gremlin from gremlin 2 <laughs> and and then somehow she dies I, i'm sort of fuzzy on that there's sort of like an evil female doctor character that's a bit similar to the um th that that kind of character in robocop 2 that I, i'm sort of fuzzy there frank miller reused some robocop 2 concepts in the script for robocop 3 um bertha is um more or less the same you do have Ed 209 saying, I'm obedient as a puppy. Um, and you have the old man in there, which is, he's described as dead or it's implied in the movie. And so, and also, uh, instead of getting a jetpack, Robocop gets these cool sort of like anime wings. He looks a bit like the X-Men angel in sort of like the 90s incarnation. So given all that, does that sound any better than what we got in the movie? Uh, I will say yes only because if they had done Dr. Lazarus becoming a, a being of pure electricity, that would have been some gonzo. That's the type of gonzo crazy that I can really enjoy. Yeah, in a movie. right. Yeah, gonzo crazy is a, <laughs> a good word for it. And also, frankly, I just don't think special effects were there at that time. It would have been, um, you know, poor early 90s, low budget CG, which we get morphine effects in this film. Um because every film in the 90s had to have morphine effects. Which we talked about but last week. We did. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I, well, I guess we'll talk about our feelings in RoboCop 3, and they're sure to be complicated in, a, in perhaps a different way than RoboCop 2 was. Um, what I love about RoboCop 2 and RoboCop 3 is they're both bad sequels for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. And the PG-13 rating uh, does this no favors. Uh, Fred Decker, who directed this and also did a, worked on the script, has said in retrospect he feels having it be PG-13, even though it was foisted upon him, was a mistake. And perhaps this was not the story that fans wanted to see, um, which is quite honest. You don't often get that in retrospect. Um, this didn't do wonders for Fred Decker's career. The film theatrically was a, a flop. And he... You know, hadn't really had anything produced uh, for a while, as far as I know. He might have directed some television. But his the current thing he's working on is he's co-writing the script for a Predator, uh, new Predator movie that's uh, with Shane Black, who's also directing it. And Shane Black um, was an actor in the original Predator. Yeah, cause I'm, 
I'm surprised that this movie came in any way from Fred Decker because I'm looking at his filmography. Uh, he did the story for House. He wrote and directed Night of the Creeps. He wrote and directed Monster Squad. He did some Tales from the Crypt. He worked on Star Trek Enterprise. These are some of my favorite things. Um, even even Star Trek Enterprise, the first season's terrible, but it does improve after that. Well, and the budget of RoboCop 3, which according to... Um... You know, box office mojo was like twenty-two million. Is would have been a lot back then. I mean, you, you consider the. Um, I, I think in this film you have some good character actors in there. The um, the storyline is odd. We don't see RoboCop until quite a ways into the movie. I timed it. We don't see RoboCop until just over twenty minutes into the film. That's a that's a crime. It has the um, longest. The whole beginning is just this long rambling prologue. It almost feels like Robocop isn't in it that much as like a budget-saving measure. <laughs> well, I feel like this movie is full of budget-saving measures because I... So the new um, the new actor uh, playing uh, playing Robocop... Robert John he, Burke. Yeah, Robert John Burke. Like, I look at the way he, he moves in the suit, and he's doing his best through these herky-jerky robot mo- motions... And his movements never look right to me. And it wasn't until towards the end that I think I realized why. I think he's in Peter Weller's suit and it doesn't fit him. That is actually what what ha- happened. Oh my gosh, They used really? Peter Weller's suit and um, Robert John Burke, I think, might have been, you know, either a bit taller. I th- Yeah, I think it was a bit taller, so it was like ill-fitting. Uh, Robert John Burke does not have the chin that Peter Weller does. Yep. Um, but, damn it, he really tries. Like, it's not for lack of trying. I think he is a better RoboCop than we saw in, um, you know, a- after RoboCop 3 came out, uh, we got a, a, a Canadian show, RoboCop the Series, and Richard Eden played RoboCop, and his voice was, like, a bit too high-pitched. For, for RoboCop, I like um, Robert John Burke's voice. Uh, it, he looks... I don't know what the hell they did in the makeup when they took up RoboCop's mask in RoboCop 3, but it looks really creepy in a different way. Like, I think it's too much flesh and not enough machine. Well, it's that, and it, it, it almost feels like they're trying to make him look like Peter Weller in the RoboCop makeups. There's a weird layer of oh, artificiality to it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's a false nose or, or something. Or, or, yeah. Um... But I don't think Robert John Burke is a, is a problem here. He, Peter Weller, uh, as I understand it, basically said hell no to this movie because it, getting in the suit was a pain in the ass. He only did RoboCop 2 because they threw buckets of money at him, which <laughs> yeah. uh, good for him for holding out to get a higher amount. But um, and, and also at the time, I think they offered it to Peter Weller, but he was making Naked Lunch. Oh, yeah. It's a shame that doesn't have any sequels. We could talk about that. I know, yeah. Maybe thematically we can find something with the... Um... But yeah, so RoboCop 3. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the characters briefly, and then we'll get into the story. So we have Nancy Allen back as Ann Lewis. And um... they don't give... You know, they give her more to do than RoboCop 2. I'll give them credit for that much. 
Well, we, we do get to see her make an arrest and, and get into some gunplay. Uh, or, and we also get to see her take some take some initiative later on when she decides to uh, protect the people in the church. But I'm really upset that she's killed in this movie. It's not... Yeah, like it's not... a. She could have gone down fighting or in a blaze of glory. Like, she kind of goes out like a punk. I, I don't... It, it's disappointing, but yet... Even all that said, I still felt bad when she died. Like, I didn't remember that happening in this movie. Yeah, well, I, th- and... I think it's easy to forget because it has no real impact on the film, which which is a, a huge lost opportunity because in RoboCop 1 and 2, Anne, Anne and RoboCop make this, they're a perfect pair, and she really is, yeah, she really right. is what keeps him grounded and to a certain extent human. And I feel like once she's out of the equation, they really should, they have license to have RoboCop just turn into a cold-hearted maniac, and they never get there. It should it should affect him more than it affects any other character in the movie. Uh, in true RoboCop fashion, we have a few bad guys going on here. Uh, Rip Torn plays the CEO of OCP, and uh, I, I think Rip Torn can be an inspired actor. I liked him in Freddy Got Fingered as the father, but here he's terrible. He he plays it like a cartoon. He plays it very broad. Um, it I I don't think he does a good job here. Yeah, I feel I feel like I th- I feel like he thinks he's in a comedy. Yeah, so as a result, yeah, his, right. his performances clash. And I did a lot of I did a lot of thinking about it. And the 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 the, the way I feel about about RoboCop three is RoboCop three is the RoboCop movie you get if the only thing you have to go by is the last shot of RoboCop two. It feels like a made for TV movie, doesn't it? Like At the lack in budget. Yes really hurts it you did have tippet come back for the effects but although you did, the only stop motion he had was really the uh you know the brief ed 209 stuff which is it's take it or leave it um i do think john castle does a good job as mcdaggett who's sort of like the main bad guy here yeah I, well, he's, he... he's not british he's an american actor or never no. mind i i take that back he is british yeah but he He's he's just good enough that I wish they just flat out made his character the core villain because uh, it's it's great when he's on scene and can be sinister, but he doesn't have enough he doesn't have enough screen time to really be the villain I want him to be. Any thoughts on Jill Hennessy as Doctor Lazarus or CCH Pounder as Bertha? I really like CCH Pounder as Bertha. Like that's. I wish that character hadn't hadn't been shot. Like that's another character. Bertha gets gets killed in a, in a raid on the 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 subterranean hideout that the Freedom Fighters are living in. She should like like Anne. She should if she's going to die, she needs to go out in a blaze of glory. She just kind of is shot and tells the little girl to run. What like which is a shame. Like I feel like she has such personality to her. I wish she was the leader of the Freedom Fighters. Instead, yeah, right. Sort of a glorified lieutenant. She, she gives a better performance than the movie deserves. I'm reminded a bit of uh, Pam Greer's performance in Mars Attacks, mm. where they're putting like 20 pounds into a five pound performance, and it, it's fine, but it it almost is like you're trying too hard. But yeah, she seems to be giving a shit, which is more than I can say for some of the other actors in this movie. Yeah. As, um, as for for Doctor Lazarus. I start out liking Dr. Lazarus when she's when she's a competent scientist who does have, you know, a moral center in that even when she's ordered to put this emotion inhibitor on in Robocop, she refuses to do it. 
but by the time she starts getting more active in the movie, she's just sort of a... She's almost like a she's just a surrogate mom character to the point where she even wears mom jeans uh, later on. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's nice to see uh, Mako as Kanemitsu, sort of the head of the, the Japanese company that's has uh, done a corporate takeover of OCP. He he's a good actor. He mainly speaks in Japanese. Like it, it, they clearly filmed it all in like one or two days. Oh yeah, he's uh, you know. It, Mako is frankly better in Highlander 3 as sort of like the Yoda type character. And, and he's, of course, uh, um, he has a, a big part in the Samurai Jack cartoon. Yeah, well, he has more to do in both of those roles. Here, it's it's a glorified cameo. Uh, right. And, um, you know, Robert Dequi makes uh, a comeback from the other two films as the sergeant of the police department. And Felton Perry is back as Donald Johnson, but I mean that's it's nice you have that continuity. It's not really needed. I was amused to see Stephen Root as sort of the turncoat rebel, better known oh, as the stapler yeah. guy from uh, Office Space. Oh, and you you know who else is in here? Jeff Garland is the guy who runs the diner that all the cops hang out at. You know, I noticed that. Come to think of it, I took a picture of it and put it on Twitter. Yeah, that that w- was amusing. It's a uh, <laughs> two and lines of dialogue. Not just- and he's not just in the one core diner scene. He comes back later to the point where I wonder, is there another scene with him on the cutting room floor? Because they clearly got him back for at least another day. Um, Could be. You know, Shout Factory is coming out with uh, special edition Blu-rays of Robocop 2 and 3, which uh, have commentaries, and they might even have deleted scenes. I'm not really sure. but And they have documentaries and stuff, so maybe there's information on those. I don't know. Um. But yeah, and speaking of the home video releases, I will say that even though these have had multiple DVD and Blu-ray releases over the years, it's not until this upcoming Blu-ray release that we get true special editions of RoboCop 2 and 3. Mm. But RoboCop 1 has had, you know, 5 million special editions with all sorts of goodies as the extras. So so we've talked a bit um, about the characters overall. Now let's strike that, reverse it, and talk about the plot. As you mentioned, it takes uh, about 20 minutes, maybe more, for RoboCop to come on screen. It's about 20 minutes, 33 seconds. Uh, 20 minutes and 33 seconds. Excellent. And um, with, with all that in consideration, it it starts as, um, you know, you have a fake commercial, you have the newscast, but then it quickly feels like you're watching a, a made-for-TV uh, drama or something. With you have the kid that's the computer genius, and uh, you have this sort of more uh, complicated political situation going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all it's all set up in the the ad we see for Delta City and in the newscast where you know OCP, after being bought out uh, by Kanemitsu, is finally going to push ahead with Delta City, and so they're they're tearing down a number of neighborhoods. In this one neighborhood, Cadillac Heights, everyone's being everyone's being evicted and being sent to to. What was it uh what what did they call them uh relocation centers or yeah i mean they're clearly um it's a metaphor i i think for like the japanese internment camps in world war 2 in the united states Qu- quite possibly although we never get to see one of these facilities much to this movie's detriment but but yeah the uh the house that this little girl is living in is being torn down like that very night. In fact, a wrecking ball flies into her room while her dad is explaining to her, oh, don't worry, we'll be safe. Uh, 
and that's when she gets separated uh, from her parents uh, and ends up uh, ends up falling in with the rebel group because at one point she's being chased by the mercenaries that OCP's hired to flush the people out uh, and they the, the the freedom fighters rescue her uh, and then the, that dovetails into one of the most embarrassing scenes in this film there's a lot of embarrassing scenes is it the one with uh, Ed 209 yeah they take the girl because uh... To, they're going to raid. Uh, they're going to raid a police armory, which is as far away from the police department as you can get. Uh, Not just that. That seems like a pretty bold thing to do so early in the film. You don't really know this rebel group that much. Oh, let's do a raid for for weapons, and you think, okay, we're going to get an exciting action scene. Instead, the scene kind of goes on forever, where Stephen Root, especially, does some heavy sweating on his brow. And it goes back and forth, and the girl has her, you know, like, 50-pound laptop suitcase thing. She plugs it into it. It folds out. It transforms. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is truly a cyber deck in the most garish way possible. But, yeah, the only security at the arms depot is an ED-209, and while it's threatening to shoot everybody, the girl just runs up, opens an access port on its leg, plugs her laptop into it, and types in, be as obedient as a puppy, dot, dot, Dot. And it says, I will and be as. Stay, stay your ground. I will be as obedient as a puppy. Which I don't know if you've ever seen a puppy. They're not obedient. Uh, no, they he sh- piss he on shit. Gone on a rampage. They piss on shit on anything that moves right. It's like Tasmanian Devil twenty four hours a day. Yeah, especially depending on how they're trained and how young they are. Yeah, it's uh, rambunctious. You could say obedient as a. Zombie, I don't know. She could have hypnotized Ed 209. I don't know how you do that. You, like, wave, like, a watch in front of the robot's vision sensors. And Ocular it... sensors. What I mean, she could have just, like, typed in security override or accept new command parameters mm. or something. But, like, that's, that's, this might be the most embarrassing display of 90s movie hacking where you just type in what you want the thing to do. Yeah, no, but, no keep but, yeah, in mind, at the time, you know, um, like the the graphic uh, operating systems like Windows or Mac OS were just starting to become kind of popular, but so much of it was command line like DOS. And you could, it, it's difficult to make computer work look sexy. Um, well, they don't, they don't need to. I mean, I would be happy with her just typing a few buttons and then ED-209 says new parameters accepted and like mm. that's it you don't need I think the problem comes with any kind of sh- shitty hacking scene is they linger on the hacking and as a result have to make the hacking look like something and I think for for to make it PG-13 I mean yes people get shot in the movie but in a lot of times in scenes they just attack like uh, trucks or explosive barrels yeah a lot of barrels. collateral damage yeah a lot of collateral damage like when when the police do finally show up at this arms depot, the ED two hundred nine opens fire, but it just damages a bunch of cars. Nobody nobody actually gets shot, and the few people who do get shot, with the exception of Anne, it's it's pretty much bloodless violence throughout this movie. Right. It and I mean, and the truth was, yes, RoboCop was a popular character among children. They did a cartoon series based off an R rated movie. Um, they did another series after RoboCop 3. Yeah, like Rambo, right. Um, you didn't have Exorcist, the animated series. There almost, there was a a Terminator animated series in development that never went anywhere that was described as a boy and his Terminator. 
Um, oh wow! Yeah. Well, then they turn that that concept into Terminator Genesis. Uh, yeah, yeah. We never did Terminator in sequel cast on the original show, did we? That was sort of surprising. Yeah, no, we didn't. <laughs> Something to think about. Um, but right. So all the, all that being said, you, I I do agree. Like they, um, even though like the 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 kid Nico, is the performance by um, let me look up the uh, by Remy Ryan. It's not. Oh, she looks unrecognizable now. Jeez. Um, is not. It's an okay, like, kid performance. But I I do think it's a neat twist that when her house is being demolished and then they're trying to separate, they, you know, she gets separated by her parents and all this stuff, and it's sort of chaotic. Like, you do feel bad for her. No, I mean, yeah, he starts out with a lot of sympathy, and for the most part, they do avoid making her this annoying, precocious kid, at least Eh, least initially. Yeah. She's not. She's not as cringeworthy as she could have been. Yeah, she's no curly Sue. Um, boy, and then meanwhile, you know that you try to get some of the corporate satire that's such a central part of the original film, especially, and it just falls in its face because Rip Torn is, is like Mister Cartoon Man screaming with his wiggly mustache. And well, uh, to be fair, like the Japanese takeover thing, that was big in the '90s because in the early '90s. Japan had a strong economy, which they really haven't had since. And you had the Michael oh, yeah, Crichton book, Rising Sun, um, you had, you know, other stuff like that around the time. Yeah, well, it's so, it's it's just outright embarrassing during the scene where the Rip Torn and his corporate cronies, they get chewed out by uh, Kani Mitsu, and then they do their walk and talk, and we just see everybody in the OCP offices panicking including a guy who is on a video call with his wife and jumps out the window of his own <laughs> office. And, and yeah. we, in the next scene, we see him hit hit bottom. I kept meaning to replay that scene and count how long it takes him to land after jumping to figure out how high his office was. It, it's a real blink and you miss you moment with the impact like they don't linger on it because it's pg-13 but it's they're trying to do the dark humor but they can't they have to pull their punches because of the rating and it's um i didn't mind that moment in theory but i don't think it needed the the impact because it had that scene happen like in robocop one you would have seen a body splatter on the sidewalk and it just reminds you oh the first movie kind of did this better not kind well, it of. Would have fallen do. into an industrial recycler, which would have sprayed a jet of blood out of its uh, vents. That too, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, so Robocop takes forever to show up, and when he does, I think at least it's for a good reason. You know, Anne Lewis, uh, Officer Lewis, is in this not very good part of town, and her her car is in bad straits, and she's kind of stranded. And Robocop goes to help his friend. Well, yeah, because they're they're surrounded. They're she and some other cops that she was with. They're in uh, quote unquote splatterpunk territory. This this gang of nineteen eighties comic book villains. <laughs> they, you know, it looks like Mad Max for kids, which which is fine. I think the looks of the splatterpunks, I don't have a, a big problem with. The, the looks not bad. They they're given their own incomprehensible slang, but this is the splatterpunks are just the beginning of all of Frank Miller's comic book sins invading this movie. <laughs> 
And so when RoboCop finally shows up, you know, they uh, he's revealed to have a gun arm. No, it's even worse than that. His his intro is instead of just driving to where Anne is, he drives to a the top of a parking garage overlooking where Anne is and drives his car off of the parking garage to land next to her car. What a way to damage your own car. To just drive to her. <laughs> it's not like his car like busted out wings and could, you know, hover down. That would that might Yeah, he trashed his vehicle. Right. He's like, ah, even though he's a robot, he could take, mostly robot, he could take that impact. But still, it's like, why, was he just, like, having a bad day? Well, it's one of those things, it's it's the type of thing in a movie that you can only justify by saying it's a movie. That it has no bearing on reality whatsoever. It's like, why did, why did he do that? The director thought he should have a crazy-ass intro. <laughs> In introducing RoboCop off the bat with a gun arm, it's, um, it could have been introduced, like, better later in the movie. Like, it's just such, like, okay, that's cool. No explanation as to why this is happening. Well, like, if they're going to do that, in, if they're going to, if you're going to have the gun arm in his first appearance 20 minutes and 33 seconds into the film... It needs to be a basic gun arm so he can get a crazy ass gun arm later, but that does not happen. Or Just maybe, the gun arm yeah, or maybe with kids yeah. getting new powers, right? Or maybe like in the the opening, he has both, um, you know, robot arms like normal. One gets knocked off, and uh, Officer Lewis has to jam a gun in there, and it happens to work. I don't know something more <laughs> organic. Uh, we we get a shot of RoboCop on fire walking around. Which is kind of cool, but then it's lame that he goes into a store and the uh, the fire detection uh, sprinklers that takes a bit of the Mickey out of the scene. Where now you yeah, just the, get the bombed out yeah. the bombed out hellhole the, that the uh, splatterpunks are holed up in. At least it's up to fire code. It's up to fire code. RoboCop looks nice and toasty. It, it doesn't have as much battle damage and exposed, you know, burning you know, flesh if, if as I, you would think. If if I were directing that scene. I'd have RoboCop uh, shoot a fire extinguisher, and the spray from the fire extinguisher puts the fire out. I think he beats somebody with the fire extinguisher. Or if you wanted to be silly, you could have RoboCop uh, tap his nose twice, and fire extinguisher stuff comes out of his nostrils <laughs> to cool himself Fire off. suppression system right. on. Foam sprays out of it. <laughs> fire suppressed. Um, but yeah, it it's not... It, it's really... They're trying to give RoboCop a cool entrance, and they just keep on falling on their face, and you feel bad for RoboCop. You feel embarrassed for the stuntman in the suit. You feel embarrassed for Robert John Burke. Mm. You're like, this isn't what I want RoboCop to be. And then the movie keeps on going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's a major plot point that RoboCop, uh, and they set it up with this this fire damage and stuff, is really injured. But having a movie where your hero is like incapacitated for most of the film and keeps on like falling on his face literally and figuratively well, it, it well, ma- well, makes what? it tough to root for him. Well, yeah, but you know, less, although he, he's Robocop spent so much time laying down and sitting down in this movie. I almost feel like Burke was like, I, this is suits uncomfortable. You're not going to get me walking around much. Right. I mean, that, that could well be the case. I don't, I don't know any juicy details, but it, it just is so... The movie might as well not be RoboCop, I think, is one of its main problems. Mm. 
he almost seems incidental to the plot and like yes he gets a hero moment at the end which we're we're gonna get to but oh we are gonna get to it and yet so you know at at, at uh, ocp uh at the police station there's dr lazarus who is sympathetic to robocop's cause and um she deletes the fourth directive as part of the process well, that happens later on because sure. RoboCop, uh, you know, RoboCop sees sees uh, Nico, the little girl, uh, and he again has another obsession playing a looped video of a kid. Uh, and uh, when he he hears the police officer talking, or he hears the chief of police talking about places they're going to need to check out for squatters, he recognizes the church he saw her go into. So RoboCop and Anne find out that all these you know refugees uh, from the mercenaries are hiding out in this church. And Robo and when Anne gets shot by the mercenaries, uh, and Robocop can't fight back, at least not directly because of his fourth That's directives, right. he gets shot up, takes a grenade to the chest. And I don't know if you noticed the impact crater on his chest plate from the grenade keeps appearing and disappearing from that point on. I did not notice, but I would not be surprised. I mean, not only do you catch him on fire, you hit him in the chest with a an explosive with a you know an RPG, and it's like. A movie where RoboCop is continually kicked in the balls. It, I, I don't know. I mean, so I mean, yeah. let, let's talk about Lewis dying, right? The setup yeah. for the scene, I think, is okay. In that the, the cops are getting the order from OCP saying these the the squatters, you um, you know, you have to be ruthless with them, even though they're civilians, and it, like ethically, I think that's an interesting idea. They don't let you know those um, people in the church very much. You got the little action scene with uh, Ed 209 or lack thereof in the beginning, but. Yeah, and and it's it's great when Ann and Robocop decide that, you know, their their loyalties are with the people. So they're going to ignore their orders from the police and OCP and they're going to fight off these mercenaries. But I just I don't like seeing Ann just get gun down and then die on the, the church's altar although that being said i think there is there is something kind of grim and beautiful when you know she's kind of freaking out and and murphy like leans in and from experience says mm. it doesn't hurt for long yeah that, that's a nice moment because he's died <laughs> but, right sure of course um like, even if Ann Lewis would have gotten into some sort of, like, a, a fist fight, gotten up close with McDaggett, instead of being sort of blasted anonymously in mass, like, maybe they're trying to make it, like, she gets gunned down in such a way that Murphy did when he was a cop, but it's not nearly as violent, and they can't be because of the rating. I, yeah, um, it, it could have been done a lot better, and it's, you're clearly bringing in, um... And Lewis back in this film as a prop, and you think like, oh my oh, god! It just yeah, it just occurred to me. I completely forgot this. There's a throwaway line to justify this because when she and RoboCop leave the police station, one of the cops says, "Hey, Anne, do you want your body armor?" <laughs> That's she right. She says, "No, I'm off duty." Yep. Oh. <sighs> Which even then, it's like, oh, you think RoboCop's gonna go make cupcakes? Of course not. He's well, RoboCop. Well, well, this is the other thing, though. When one of the splatterpunks tried to shoot Anne during that scene, Robocop caught a bullet. So, like, he's that fast and can calculate incoming bullet trajectories. Why couldn't he stop Anne from getting shot? 
because we had to be treated to five minutes of slow motion scenes of RoboCop looking back and forth between um, the uh, the rehab department and the the squatters, mm-hmm. and then flashbacks of a different actor playing his kid and his wife. Well, I guess I guess we shouldn't belabor that point. So he leaves with the squatters when they flee the church through secret tunnels, falls into uh, the sewers, God. water. Yeah, for a while. But eventually they carry him. And my wife and I got into a debate about how exactly how heavy RoboCop is and how many people it would take to carry him. Um, I would think he's over a ton. Yeah, I don't know if they ever set his weight, but it does seem like not enough people are, are lifting him uh, when they carry him to their secret base. But yeah, he's all beat up, and so uh, he, he says, Fine, Dr. Lazarus. So uh, Nico goes out, finds Dr. Lazarus, brings her to the compound, and we are treated to another RoboCop POV repair montage. Can't get enough of those. Well, the only thing, the only, I feel like most of those had to be improvised. The one thing that I really like about this POV repair shot is when there's this one guy who is a mechanic Who's, you know, talking about like, you know, why'd you do that? I didn't mean to do that. Well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, then don't ask me to do that. There's like this exchange when he tries to tighten something on RoboCop and it causes like a short circuit. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, things like that. He talks about, oh, man, when you're done, you're going to look so cherry. It's going to be great. Uh, but then the thing that, dri- that that drives me crazy is when like uh, when uh, Bertha leans in and goes, Doc, I got that heart you wanted. Mm. <laughs> And hands a human heart. Like, where the fuck are they getting human organs? Oh, I just got that. So it's like a Wizard of Oz homage. Heart for the Tin well, yeah, Man. See, it's, it's, it's even later when he's repaired and the girl's like, I'm glad your new heart works. In some of the most ham-fisted dialogue <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I mean, and then you get... Um, is it in the same sequence where you get the, the weird morphing sequence? Yeah, like oh, we, we fought. We it's disturbing. Murphy, like has a dream of electric sheep, where like <laughs> we water slide down a Tron tube, and he sees like flashes of of of, of his wife. But then we get this horrible <laughs> scene. It's horrible on every level. Yeah. where we see a picture of his wife in the tube, and then it morphs into Anne, and then it morphs into Doctor Lazarus. And like on the one on the one hand. I think it is great that RoboCop is like remembering or trying to hold on to the memories yeah. of these important women who have inf- impacted his life. But the use of the morphing implies that all these women are just interchangeable. Well, what it made me think is, and I'm sure this has more to do with, um, you know, my me projecting whatever thoughts I had onto the scene. Does he have sexual thoughts for all three of them? That's what, I that, guess, well, that's what I confused mean, me, because, like, like RoboCop doesn't have romance, um, and yet, you know, the thing between him and Anne Lewis, like, it, it could be, or he certainly has some sort of affection towards her, and then with, well, Lazar- I mean, he's, with he's, Lazarus is being nice to him and all these things, and supportive. Well, I mean, he's clearly, he's clearly, I mean, he clearly loved his wife, uh, 
I think he does love Anne, but he he loves her, you know, as, as a friend. As a They've sister. been in the ship yeah, together, right? Like when, when I see them interact, they do they interact like best friends. With with Lazarus, we haven't really seen their relationship. Mm, we just sure. seen that Lazarus won't rob him of 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 his humanity, which I guess is the bare minimum that anyone could do. And I, I think that as part of what makes the the last morph into Lazarus Lazarus uh, so strange is because the character development is so slight in this film. It's like, oh, her? <laughs> like, if if the head had just been his wife, I think that would have been fine. Well, it should have, it should have, the last face, it should have morphed one more time into the guy from the I'd Buy That for a Dollar show. <laughs> Who I'm so happy to see is back in this movie. Is that just using footage from the first one, though, or is it new footage? Yeah, oh, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just recycled footage. But, so I can only assume they're watching a rerun or a clip show. But it's a nice callback, I think. Yeah, we could have used that in the in, in RoboCop too. Mm-hmm. So kind of surprising we didn't see it, considering it's one of the oh, most. You know what? I'm, sh- I'm shocked we haven't talked about. Yeah. Uh, when we see uh, the Kanemitsu corporate headquarters in Japan, which looks like a recycled uh, matte painting from a planet establishing shot on Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, Kanemitsu doesn't trust OCP to take care of its business, so they send their own specialist, and in a locked room, they have a ninja. Oh, of course, we forgot this idiotic subplot of yet another bad guy in RoboCop 3. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it was the 90s. That's the only excuse I can give. Like, a robot... It's another one of Frank Miller's comic book sins, the gratuitous ninja. Oh, right, of course, because of Daredevil and Elektra and all that. Yeah, right, sure. Um, did, didn't did Frank Miller also have the do the ninja storyline in Wolverine? Uh, I believe he did do the the, uh, the first big Wolverine in Japan arc with uh, Lady Deathstrike and what, which was sort of loosely adapted into the uh, the film The Wolverine, the second one. Um, oh yeah, God, what a terrible title. Um, okay, that's neither here nor there. So right, I mean you have the the early '90s ninja fetish, fetishism along with uh, the Japanese corporate takeover stuff. Um, I, I think it's tough for me to judge the performance. Of, um, the, uh, oh, of Bruce Locke, who plays Otomo, the ninja android. Uh, but, I mean, I I think he's fine, you know, there's, it's sort of like a stoic performance. I I kind of wish he would talk more or have some sort of a personality. Well, I mean, I guess he can't, because we come to find out later, uh, he's, he's a flat-out android. Right, but it would have nice to have no, I, something for RoboCop to, to spark against, to, to talk to. I don't know. Something. Yeah. Although, if he is just an android, why go through the trouble of having a Zen rock garden in a vault to keep him in? It's just... Why not pull it, him out of a yeah. drawer or a tank or something? I don't know. Or why not... Um, Why not have him pilot Ed 209? I don't know. Like, you could... Ride him like a Bronco. Sure, you could do something. I, I I mean, that at the end you have, like, two different ninja robots fighting RoboCop is just really yeah, lame. The, oh, it's just stupid. That's the other thing that drives me crazy. It was in, when it turns out there were three of him the whole time. Yeah, it's, it's really forced. They shoot it in such a way 
where it looks cheap and oh oh the climax of this doesn't work i'm getting stomach pains just thinking about it um well e even then so does that mean when the head of kanemitsu went to that zen rock garden vault does that mean there were two other naked robot ninjas sitting on rocks just off camera they were at two separate undisclosed locations Okay, so there's, there's a Kanemitsu facility east and a Kanemitsu facility north, and that's where they kept the other two. Right, because if they had them all in the same location, one might get jealous of the other. You know how robots get. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I guess we ought to talk about the uh, the fight scene with the first of the ninjas. <sighs> it, it's just so God, lame. It's... Like, So it's in the sewer, and you, you see ninja in the sewer, and I think ninja turtle, of course. Yeah. Um, but you feel kind of bad. Robocop is still like not in tip-top shape, so he's just like futzing about all over the place. Yeah, well, like, the whole fight is just the ninja flip kicking Robocop over and over again. I guess I guess he's programmed to toy with them. No, I'm cutting off Robocop's fingers. That's the sole bit of damage we actually see Robocop sustain. And what drives me crazy about the scene is Robocop does defeat the ninja. But he doesn't defeat the ninja by outsmarting him. He doesn't defeat the ninja by pulling a dirty trick. He doesn't beat the ninja. He doesn't beat the ninja in any interesting way. He just detaches his busted hand, attaches his gun hand to it, which turns out to have always had a rocket launcher mounted to it, and just blows his head off with a missile. Hmm. Yeah, it's... And we see a headless robot body flop over, throwing sparks. It's very embarrassing. It's embarrassing, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's just not, not a great move. So, uh, we should also mention they have sort of the subplot of there's a traitor in the midst of the uh, sort of group of rebels, of the squatters, so to speak, right? And it is... Yeah, and, and it's Koontz. Right, played by Stephen Root, who um, is a pretty solid character actor as a whole i've liked him in some other stuff here he's okay he's not given a lot to work with and he's like of course the it doesn't play to his strengths yeah he doesn't play to his strengths um he's shifty eyed i think from the get-go it's not a big surprise when they do this dramatic reveal from the shadows of, of yeah. who's been tipping off mcdaggett although i do like in that scene um the the conceit of mcdaggett and and his group of bad guy rehab cops uh, which is short for Urban Rehabilitators, which I, they could have done more, I think, with that concept. We get kind of like a G.I. Joe-style commercial about them, but we, we could have had a... The best scene in the movie is that fake commercial. Yeah, it looks just like a, a 90s G.I. Joe toy commercial from the time. Um, with the most amazing uh, balls-out Klasky Chupo animation. Right, yeah, with with the snaggly teeth and the, the bug eyes and the lips. Yeah, pretty good. Um but yeah, it, that the conceit that the uh, the rehab cops are in like have rent out a hotel and have strippers in there and drugs and all this stuff. It's sort of their R and R location. I, I think that's a neat idea. They can't push it to its well, I mean, natural they're, they're... conclusion, but. Well, they, I mean, they, they are fighting for coin. They're mercenaries. They don't have any, any right. sense of justice. So I think it is it is fitting that when they're off duty, they're just committing a different set of crimes in a different location. Man, what if we would have had a scene where Robocop was undercover as a stripper? 
<laughs> Let's go to the champagne room, big boy. Nice cans. You have no idea. They're aluminum. <laughs> Man, yeah, that that would have been that would have been something, right? Cheese. Uh, well, this is why we don't write movies, or is it? Um, okay. <laughs> if you want us to write a movie, though, we're available. Absolutely. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Okay, so yeah. something that really bugs me though about the scene where RoboCop breaks into the hotel to confront uh, to confront McDaggett um, is that. When he gets to McDaggett's room, he doesn't break down the door. He shoots an outline into the door he can rip through. Now, I don't know. He must have found the code for infinite ammo because that it takes, I think, what, like 150 bullets to do the shooting he does? Well, what? If, think about the logistics of it. If he would have smashed his head through the door, he would have had his neck stuck. Like, I don't know if he could have made a clean burst through the... What would you rather have seen, Thrasher? He could have ripped it off of its hinges or, or punched through it or, or, or just charged through. It's a flimsy plywood hotel door. Or you could do it's a callback to the first RoboCop film, right? Where RoboCop punches through the wall and grabs the guy around the neck. That would be cool, right? too. Um, comes down the chimney. I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to have happen? It's, yeah... And so you think it's going to be sort of a face-off because of the fourth directive. You can't do anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, you know... Well, well, that's the yeah. thing, though. This is after Dr. Lazarus has deleted the fourth directive. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. Jeez. What was I thinking? Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's like you're trying to set up a standoff, but then nothing really happens. Well, he gets distracted because Koontz is there, but I feel like... The the presence of Coon shouldn't be so shocking that he can't get his man. Right. I mean, what if you would have had it where Officer Lewis was kidnapped by McDaggett instead of killed and turned into one of the strippers? That would be weird. Like, yes. they're like mind controlling. I, I guess. And I mean, that would have thrown Robocop for a loop, right? I guess it would have, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't but... make a lot of sense, but... <laughs> so, I mean, at the end of the film, RoboCop gets hooked up with uh, the jetpack. Oh, the jetpack. Yeah, this and this is after the entire Seattle Police Department uh, goes on strike and joins the rebels in Cadillac Heights. Which, they don't spend enough time with the police... To make it... Um, Although that scene is good. It's a good scene, but they, it, it's not set up properly. The police are just overlooked in every film except for the first one. Mm. And if you're good... I mean, they, they also... Didn't they already go on strike, like, in the second film? Like, what's with this police department? Well, well, OCP does keep screwing them over, so maybe they, maybe they constantly have grounds to strike. It could have used an extra scene... With the police department just to set it up a bit better of their their discord or, or their sympathies with the rebels, but yeah, I mean, I, that's a right. So. But I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a okay scene, and then you think, oh, RoboCop has the jetpack; he's going to show up any minute now. He shows up way too late in the scene for my liking. Yeah, and, and what it does, piece. it's like a Superman three level special effect of flying. Yeah, he flies so slowly. It's like he's gently hovering in their direction. It's like you will believe a RoboCop can't fly. 
God, he's you know, firing his smart... He has a smart missile targeting system. He's blowing up tanks. Yeah, again, it only hits vehicles. Uh, um. Although, and, and, and just like... He's so obviously composited into the shot. I mean, you can tell you can tell it's a miniature composited into the live action footage. On the Blu-ray, it's even worse because of the increased resolution. You can just tell the oh, you can just tell that it, oh, it's dear. the compositing's even worse than you might think. It, and then it might look on videotape or DVD. It's yeah, it, it's not the you, you see everyone you know all the cops and the rebels cheer when RoboCop comes, and as the audience member, you should be cheering, but you're not because the effect looks so hokey and. I mean, hell, this... this and it's taken too long. It's taken too long. It, and, and frankly, when you're having this big sort of battle between the Rebels and the um, and the Rehabs, this is where RoboCop should go mano a mano with, like, the ninja robot and uh, Daggett. And, and McDaggett. McDaggett. McDaggett, yeah. And yet, McDaggett is nowhere near here. He's on the top floor of the OCP building coordinating these. And it uh, seems like they only do that so that part of the film is kind of a ripoff of the climax of the original RoboCop, which is also on the top floor Mm. of OCP with a window in the background. Okay, let's get into that. I mean, gee, this is just terrible. Yeah, so, yeah, he he flies very slowly once again into the top floor to get into a fight, and that's when we discover that there are two other identical... Ninja androids, wah, wah. one of whom gets his face shot up, and it turns into this weird jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> the idea's okay, but the effect is not... <sighs> they just shouldn't have bothered if it would have looked like it's... that. Like, it just looks... Well, you, they can't, they shouldn't linger on it. It's when they linger on it that it starts to look ridiculous. It, it's like the it's like a um, a worse version of the effect in Total Recall, which was before this film. Where the head, the the woman head splits and it's Schwarzenegger underneath. Oh, yeah. It's this, like, halfway transformation thing that, that doesn't look great. And, uh, you know, the, the little magic girl goes and Nico, you know, saves the day, which is all the more frustrating. With, with, with her magic laptop, and I guess she did this wirelessly, she reprograms the androids so that they target each other. So RoboCop doesn't even get to defeat them. They simultaneously chop each other's heads off. Which the slow motion just makes the effect look even worse. Um, I think they called that and then, Adele X Machina. Yeah, I can buy that. That might be our new term for the show. Copyright us. <laughs> but, but then... Like, you know, McDaggett's like, oh, no, you fool. The androids had a fail-safe, thermal fail-safe feature. They'll self-destruct in 20 seconds. Uh, so RoboCop picks up Dr. Lazarus and Nico and flies out. But when RoboCop flies out, uh, he McDaggett does one dick up. move to um, McDaggett, which is he, he turns up the flames on his jetpack, burning McDaggett's thighs. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he has smoking legs as he's crumpling to the floor. It, it's a needless what bit of this? sadism as Robocop flies away. Well, what's crazy, when his legs are on fire, he's even like, oh, whoa, whoa. Like, he has this comedy yeah. version of pain on his face. But but this is another thing that drives me crazy. So the, the androids are programmed to blow up 20 seconds after they're destroyed. What happened to the one that was in the sewer that Robocop defeated? That one had a defective self-destruct unit. Yeah, 
I bet it did. Or the screenwriter hadn't thought about it until the end of the movie, but then never went back and revised the script. Well, so, um, the the last line of this movie, I find perhaps even worse. I don't know if it's worse than the last line of Robocop 2, but it's pretty close. It's it's worse in context of the entire (laughs) series of films. Sure, because it's... uh, (laughs) It's the opposite of what RoboCop One was trying to accomplish with its last line, and and so yeah, RoboCop. So RoboCop hero. Meet, yeah. Um, oh, it, describe it, Thrasher. Well, yeah, yeah. RoboCop flies back to uh, Cadillac Heights, and everyone's cheering. Everyone's happy. He's a hero, and the head of uh, uh, Kanemitsu drives up in his limo with the head of OCP, whom he fires on the spot, uh, uh, and he goes to RoboCop. And then he just bows to RoboCop as a sign of respect and and leaves, and uh, you know so was, and and the head of OCP is you know comes up and says, "What? Well, hey, it's pretty impressive. Uh, what is they? They call you Murphy, son." He's like, "My friends call me Murphy. You can call me RoboCop." Yep. Cut to credits. So apparently he only has people call him RoboCop that he doesn't like, even though a lot of the cops and even Ann Lewis called him Robo. So I gotta... Okay, I gotta ask ask you something. So they keep making... May, and maybe I missed something during the opening info dump, but everyone keeps like referencing, like, if they can't kick us out in three days, they can't kick us out. What the fuck is up with that arbitrary time limit? Probably referencing a deleted scene about the squatters. I don't... But you're right. Like, it's not well-established. They're trying to create drama or some kind of, like, a a time limit. Yeah, and, like, why does does the the head of of, of Kanemitsu, like, bow to RoboCop? I don't understand the show of respect, because RoboCop's actions have tanked the stock of OCP, as we see in a hilarious graphic. So the huge investment that Kanemitsu made is now worthless. Uh, They can't go through with the Delta City project, and he's also destroyed three android ninjas, which I can only assume are very expensive to both build and maintain, to say nothing of the development costs and the likeness rights, Uh, because I'm sure that in the world of RoboCop, they are based on the actor Bruce Locke, which is why they look like him in the film. Mm. the, The entirety of that last scene is unearned in every way. Right. It feels like an ending to a different movie, or there's a few missing scenes. I don't know what it is, but it's huh. okay. Well, let's talk about you know. So we we've talked at length here about RoboCop three. <laughs> this this may be our longest episode of the sequel cast too. Do you give it sequel yes or sequel no? I'm giving I am giving this uh, sequel no. Watch a montage of the fight scenes and maybe the hacking scenes if you're a sadist and just leave the rest. This is not a good film. I'll give it a sequel no, but I'll say this. I like this one more than RoboCop 2. Because you see a lot more potential in this film. The the idea of, you know, I I think of the thing from... uh, Oh, five or six years ago where it's like the, the, the 1%. The ninety-nine percent, the sort of protest with poor people against rich people. You have um, the idea of the the rehab people, them rehabilitating the people. There's a lot of interesting themes here, 
but it's not done with the budget or the writing it deserves. And similar to RoboCop 2, there's too many bad guys. There's too much stuff going on. You know, kind of like the movie Wing Commander, there's a traitor subplot that you could easily jettison that it has little bearing on what, what goes on. There's some good actors. CCH Pounder gives a good performance, but this is a, a toned down RoboCop and it shows. But even if they did the same movie with like more extreme violence, I still don't think it would be a good movie. The lack of violence is not the problem here. It's um, it's the script and it's the budget. Yeah, and and just see, seeing this, it it reminds me how much or how dissatisfied I was with a lot of '90s comics, and again, particularly particularly Frank Miller, st- the stereotypical street punks with the bad slang, the uh, hopeless urban decay. The arbitrary ninjas, the the fetishizing of the most surface level understanding of Jap- of of Japanese culture. Right. Ugh. Okay. So, with that in mind, let's do pitch a sequel, in which we pretend there is no sequel made to this, which in a way is actually true. There was there was a remake that we'll talk about next week. So we're gonna pitch a sequel to RoboCop Three and Thrasher. Why don't you start? All right, my mine will be uh, RoboCop Four, but it'll be the word for F uh, O U R, as I believe uh, it is uh, currently spelled. Although that may change. Uh, and so here's here's my premise, because this is what I would have loved to have seen. Turns out Anne Lewis didn't die up there. Mm. She tenaciously clung to life. Okay. Uh, and uh, she was rushed to an emergency room, and just like Murphy, she signed away certain rights when she joined the police department being managed by the OCP. So short version, she becomes the next iteration of RoboCop. Uh, serial numbered Robo uh, serial numbered uh, RoboCop four. Uh, there's a RoboCop three. We'll get to that later. So Anne now is has become a new, more high tech version of RoboCop, and now Murphy has to show her the ropes of being a RoboCop. Uh, so it's you know it's a little bit fish out of water. You know she's she's learning how to live. Uh, he helps uh, Mur- Murphy helps her maintain her humanity. She helps Murphy rediscover his humanity. They they become one and the same in a lot of ways. Well, it turns out there is in fact a RoboCop three, OCP. Uh, between RoboCop 3 and RoboCop 4 did attempt to make a third iteration RoboCop uh, by using... uh, And to do that, they used salvaged parts from the ninja android that was left uh, in the sewers in RoboCop 3. So RoboCop 3 is a ninja RoboCop whom they could not control. Mm. Well, of course, of course, uh, since Murphy no longer has the third directive, he can start going after corporate criminals that work with OCP uh, and he learns how to patch the code that blocks, that, that deletes that command uh, into Anne RoboCop 4. So they're no longer bound by that directive and they start cleaning house at OCP. Cause in the end, OCP is the source of all Seattle's problems in these movies. So they you say Seattle, you mean Detroit to defeat them. Uh, Detroit. I, yeah. Okay. Everything about this movie keeps reminding me of Shadowrun, so I keep wanting to transplant it into That's Seattle, fine. especially since this film has a street samurai for all intents and yep. purposes. So anyway, 
So they released the RoboCop 3 Ninja. Uh, there's a crazy fight. Uh, what the hell? It has multiple arms with multiple uh, katanas. It's a regular General Grievous type. Uh, and in the heat of the battle, and I, this is inspired by you, oh, Matt. Uh, at the At the finale of the battle, when it looks like RoboCop and RoboCop 4 are defeated, they decide to initiate the emergency Omega Protocol. <laughs> And they open up, transform, and merge into one mega RoboCop, uh, destroy the ninja, and uh, realize that they have become a perfect being at peace with themselves. Uh, and that's how <laughs> RoboCop ends, with RoboCop 1 and 4 evolving into this new cybernetic organism after their bodies What's merge. the tagline? Uh, uh, it's uh, RoboCop 4. 4 plays over. Very good. Okay. So mine would um, do the the early 2000s low-budget sort of soft reboot idea, and RoboCop 4 would be a prequel that would be about Alex Murphy being a cop before he gets assigned to the terrible district of Detroit. So it'll just be called Cop? It'll be called pre dash pre RoboCop, <laughs> and RoboCop. You know, and there'll there'll be a lot of cute little scenes that'll hint uh, to his future at RoboCop. In, in fact, there'll be you know one at the beginning where his. In fact, the film opens where his his son is born, and he's he's feeding his kid, and his kid you know shoves the baby food in his face, and he has to taste it. And he goes, "Hmm, this stuff isn't bad." So you get like a joke like that, being that you know RoboCop likes baby food. You get you get to see how uh, how great of a cop Murphy is. You you get to see him. Um, in fact, he knows his son likes the TV show with the guy spinning his gun so much that you see montages of RoboCop of uh, Murphy trying to practice it to get it right. And you also kind of see the old man who, by this point, um, because it's maybe 10 years before the first film, is kind of getting up higher in the company. And and he's experimenting with early concepts for Ed 209 that keep on failing. And and you also get the uh, the character by Miguel Ferrer, who's like Robocop. I love this. You know, the guy behind Robocop himself um, kind of pitching around ideas, trying to get a he actually what he does is he takes uh Murphy's partner, he rips him into Detroit and uh, arranges for Murphy's partner to get murdered in in Detroit to try and use him for an early version of RoboCop that is swept under the rug. And it is because Murphy investigates what happens to his partner that he gets reassigned into Detroit. So by the time, so it's so it's ironic, it's cutesy, it's not much Robo in pre-RoboCop. But it, you're you're trying to uh, explain how the leopard got his middle spots. Um, I'd hate to say it, but this has kind of already been done. What? There's a stand-up comedian. I, it might even be Jim Bruce or, or a friend of Jim Bruce. I I, uh, I may have heard Jim Bruce paraphrase the routine. He has a routine about how he pitches a prequel <laughs> to RoboCop just called Cop <laughs> and. It's almost exactly what you describe, except the baby food scene. He hates baby food and goes on a rant about how he's so glad he'll never have to taste baby food ever again. Wow, I, I had no idea, but okay. 
and about how much he loves having a penis. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh. it, maybe he has like a, a fear of factories. <laughs> and magnets. <laughs> so what would your tagline be? <laughs> Pre-RoboCop. Mur- um, meet Murphy. I guess you could just call it Murphy. <laughs> Murph. <laughs> M-U-R-P-H. Actually, did you ever... <laughs> did I ever show you the, the, the RoboCop Murphy cartoon? I I, no. There, there's a story behind this, which will only add to the length of the episode. But, um, so there's a character in the show, uh, uh, the show uh, Z Nation named Murphy. And... I have a friend who does 8-bit uh, pixel Oh, okay. Art, and she was selling at a convention, and the guy who played Murphy was at the convention, and she was going to give him a custom-made piece because she was a fan of his, uh, and it was this pixel art thing that said, I love Murphy, only she, she forgot the H, so it said, I love Murphy. And, Did she give it to him? Uh, my wife... Well, she didn't give it to him because my, my wife noticed the typo right before she went to give it to him. So she did make a corrected one. But we kept we kept the Murphy one. And that just became like a joke between yeah. us all. And that day I got out my sketch pad and I drew a sketch. I drew a sketch where it's like the OCP guy going, that's fine, fine shooting, son. What's your name? And it's RoboCop, but drawn like a Fleischer cartoon character with these crazy wobbly arms <laughs> and two big googly eyes and his tongue hanging out going, Murphy! <laughs> oh, man. My friends call me Murphy. You can call me RoboCop. <laughs> he, he likes to drop letters. That's his thing. That's part of the future slang. Right. Like like the, like the uh, Splatterpunk shoes. Ain't <laughs> Get right, hypodermic head. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Oh, the fun never ends. Um, he doesn't have spell check installed, or it's predictive text gone wrong. Of course, man's worst nightmare. So that was picture sequel. Um, let's move on to what you're watching. I've been sort of on a documentary kick lately, and I cool. saw one called Deli Man. This was uh, directed by Eric Greenberg Anjou. And um, as you might imagine, it's about the history of delis, specifically focusing on Ziggy Gruber, who owns a deli in uh, Houston. But he is the grandson of the original owner of the Rialto Deli, which was the first kosher deli to open on Broadway in New York City in the 20s. And um, I I think the, the problem with it is... Based on that description, based on the trailer, you think it's going to focus on this one guy. And it would have been better if it had, because it focuses on a few other um, second and third generation deli um, deli men, you know, like deli uh, restaurant managers and, and chefs and stuff. And, and, and the message kind of gets muddled, but it, it opens with a, a strong concept in that um, there used to be a few thousand delis in the Manhattan area alone, and now I think there's... Um, only a hundred or two in the whole United States. And they, they, the problem is, and pardon the pun, it bites off more than it can chew, much like you should do at a proper deli sandwich that where the sandwich is the size of your head. And when I get a good Reuben, I cannot hold back. Right. 
but a, you know a proper deli sandwich and they get into you know they cover everything from economics as to why deli sandwiches are so expensive now they compare it to deli sandwiches being sort almost like an, an early version of fast food or convenience food and that it really originated with um oh it might have been romanian jews I, I could be wrong on that but like a specific kind of cooking that not a lot of european immigrants would have been familiar with and so it was food with flavor and salt and pickling and, and all these things. Um, so there's a lot of interesting information in, in this show, and I, I learned a lot. But it, it, I wish it would have been focused just on Ziggy, because his story intercut with celebrities like Larry King and Five-ish Finkel uh, and Jerry Stiller uh, is enough of a through line that I don't think you need to talk to a few different Delhi uh, families, because... Then you think like, ooh, who are they going to focus? What what's the what's the thing here? And, and you kind of lose the plot a bit. Um, but I I did check out the the menu for the the main place they talk about Kenny and Ziggy's New York Delicatessen Restaurant in Houston, Texas. This is a menu that has uh, over two hundred items on it. Oh, and it has a lot of bad puns, some of which I'll I'll present to you i think i think Please you do. know it it seems to be a deli tradition to have puns on the menu wait i relish a good deli pun so some of the sandwiches at kenny and ziggy's fiddler on the roof of your mouth <laughs> much ado about noshing <laughs> swiss and shout our version of rachel and uh and they have, like, the thing that um, Kenny and Ziggy's does, which I have never seen at a deli, and I've been to a few in my day, really old-school, traditional, old-world recipes like Ukrainian meatballs and brown gravy or uh, stuffed cabbage or, you know, liver and onions you don't only see at a deli. And uh, they, they do a lot of catering. Um, I mean, it's not like the documentaries and advertisement for this particular restaurant, but it certainly talks about it a lot. And the most interesting thing I thought about it is the Ziggy guy, he um, really latched on to his grandfather, who's the original owner of the Rialto Deli. And he is a, a guy that, um, you know, he, he went to a, a top-of-the-line French uh, chef school in Paris, and then afterwards, you know, after working at a, at a high-end French restaurant, decided, you know what? No, I just want to have my own deli and preserve my family's, um, preserve this way of making food. Because if I don't, who will? And I think that's really noble and really interesting. And even though he does it in Houston, Texas, which you would not think as a place for a deli, it's been very popular and so forth. Um, what, what, if you were to go to a deli, what would you get? Would it be pastrami? Would it be uh, corned beef? Reuben? I mean, usually, usually I do, in all honesty, go for the Reuben, although, oh gosh, I, I have not, I haven't had a good corned beef sandwich in ages, and that's simply because I have not found one uh, in Frankfort, Kentucky. There's a great deli that's a short drive from uh, from where I live. They do make an excellent Reuben and this excellent Bavarian pretzel sandwich, 
but I was not able to get good corned beef there, which is, which is a shame because everything, everything else in the menu is great. They give you a nice big pickle. Their potato salad is heavenly. Uh, it's actually, if you're in Frankfurt, Kentucky, check out Adelia's Deli. Maybe you'll catch me there. Just go asking everybody if you they are William Thrasher. One of them might say yes. Very good. And uh, all right. So what's something uh, you've seen recently, Thrasher? Well, I uh, I went back to my old love of B movies, uh, and I saw a doozy of a B movie, Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre, uh, written and directed by B movie classic, the legendary Jim Wynorski. How did you find out about this one? Well, so uh, my wife uh, sells crocheted items at a number of conventions, and she needed something just to have playing in the background while she worked but didn't want to have to hunt through the menus. So we have this new voice-activated thing on our TV for, like, searching for things. So I just searched for every movie that had shark in the title, and this was the second one that came up. And it looked so interesting that it was the first thing we watched that night. Was it worth your time? Yes, it is the good kind of bad movie. It's dumb in all the right ways. It has an actual story with a beginning and a middle and an end and characters. Uh, it it, it uh, has all the Jim Wynorski promises of a little bit of nudity, uh, a little bit of violence, uh, a little bit of girl-on-girl action. Uh, and the scientific explanation for the sharks is, is just, for why there are sharks in Arkansas are just brilliant. Speaking of which, did they're you... mutated cave? Sh- they're mutated cave sharks. They're mutated cave sharks that can burrow, so they actually hunt on land. Speaking of which, did you know in 2012 there is a direct-to-video movie called Jurassic Shark? Oh, that does not sound good. Nope, the logo looks uh, awfully close to the Jurassic Park, as you might imagine. So, would would you say this particular movie you saw is uh, better than like any of the Sharknados? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, I was not bored for a second. There's very little fat on this movie. I, I'm sure you're fantastic. You're uh, will be pleased to see we have a Sharknado five coming out in 2017. Oh wow, they are still doing. Yep, that, huh? the poster says Sharknado five Earth zero. Oh, like that reference for the National Lampoon's proposed uh, Jaws sequel, Jaws 3, Human Co-written Zero. by John Hughes, but it was never made. But maybe one day. You know that there <laughs> hasn't been a Jaws um, remake or sequel is kind of surprising. In this environment, yeah. I wonder if Peter Benchley keeps a tight lid on those well, rights. He's been dead for a while, but perhaps his family. Hmm. And what's odd about Peter Benchley is later in his career, as he learned more about sharks, he regretted what he did with the... Uh, with That's true. I've actually seen, seen interviews with, with him to, where he speaks to that effect. Of course, I'm also wondering, maybe it's the hand of Spielberg preventing remakes of any of his own material getting made. That's likely, but I have a feeling the moment Spielberg dies, there's going to be blood in the waters mm. from a Jaws movie. I don't know. I mean, you could say Deep Blue Sea might as well have been a Jaws movie. You ever see the studio executive's eyes? Black, lifeless, like a doll's eyes. So just for the fun of it, I'm going to Google shark on IMDb and sort it by year and see what other shark delights we have coming up. No, you asshole. I want to search. 
I'm going to do the same thing. That sounds like a fun experiment. And it's not letting me sort by year, so I'm going to have to just look and see 2017. It's a character named Shark in a movie called Tough Puppy, but tough is T.U.F.F. I can only assume that's about a cyborg dog. There's a movie uh, coming out in 2017 called Sky Sharks, but it's about um, Nazis creating modified sharks who are able to fly and whose riders are genetically mutated undead superhumans. Uh. A military task force made up of reanimated U.S. soldiers who fell in Vietnam is put together to prevent the world downfall. Who's making that? I don't know. Oh, hey, Jim Wynorski in 2005 did another shark movie, Shark Babes. The description is as follows. Sharks are being tracked by a team of beautiful, busty ladies using a satellite and control station. And in 2017, we're also getting a movie called Land Shark. Um, not based off the SNL sketch, uh -huh. uh, although that they didn't do that into an SNL movie is kind of surprising. Um that's about uh, someone that becomes the target of a dangerous killer after unraveling a sinister plot to inject sharks with human DNA. I have to say, while looking that up, I found a, a perhaps the worst knockoff title of Jurassic Park I've ever seen called Jurassic Prey. Oh, wow. That can't be good. From 2015, so pretty recent. Okay, anyway, that's enough sharking around. Uh, what's... That's terrible. Um, wh where can people catch some of your latest stuff? What are you working on, Thrasher? Oh, gosh. Well, I am now deep into working on uh, material for the Origins Game Fair and uh, Gen Con. I'll be hosting a number of events there. Uh, sadly, the uh, finalized event schedules aren't up. It might be another month or two, but I will definitely make an announcement when they are. Uh, in the meantime... Uh, working on another oddities book with Clint Staples. Uh, you can check out uh, those and other things I've worked on on drivethroughrpg.com. Just search for William Thrasher or William T. Thrasher. Uh, you'll pull up my credits as an author and illustrator. Very good. And um, I've been working on some articles online. I should be having... Um, I, I should have something popping up on Hardcore Gaming 101. Um in a bit cool on uh, i don't know when that'll be published but it it should it's about the um robin hood prince of thieves game for the nintendo so it's sort of a weird combination of rpg and action and street fighter uh, very 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 strange um i'm also working on some more stuff for, for games radar and then of course i uh in addition to this podcast i do a podcast uh called nintendo't for KBUFM in Portland, Oregon, uh, where once a month I do an episode on video game music. And I have one coming out with um, music from Sierra Online Games. Kind of oh, like that nice. silly mixtape I made you in college with the uh, Phantasmagoria music. Oh, and uh, the Soylent Clear jingle from Space Quest Yep, that's going to be on there as well. So, nice. a lot of good stuff. Um... So on Twitter, you can follow us at SequelCast2. You can follow me at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me at Internet Mayor. Also, be sure to look up SequelCast2 on iTunes and uh, leave a dandy review. 
Also, like our Facebook page. Just look up SequelCast2 on Facebook. It'll pop up. And uh, next time, we're going to take a look at the RoboCop remake that did okay, but not well enough to warrant a sequel from 2014. That's the one starring everyone's favorite, Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> but, but you do get Samuel L. Jackson as part of the bar. And Gary Oldman and Michael Keaton. You get uh, It's a interesting cast, but we'll talk about that next week. Jackie Earl Haley, of course, is in it as well. So, cool. for sequel cast two, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. This movie deserved an expository rap. And so, inspired by the scene where he unpimps that ride and drives a flaming car in pursuit of a mercenary vehicle, uh... He's the he's the brother that drives like a maniac cop. He's the top. He's the tough shooting cyborg robo cop. It sounded a lot better in my first draft. I'll work on that. He even fights a ninja with a katana. He even has a gun arm. He'll shoot you if you wanna. <laughs> this is why <laughs> I don't rap. Ugh. The mean streets of the, of Detroit. There is no tougher droid. RoboCop gets set on fire, and he can fix your spare tire. Hey, OCP, yeah, you know me! End scene. Oh, Oh, I do want to mention that really quick. The music in RoboCop 3 is by Uh Basil Poliodorus, who did the music in the first film. And it's, um, yeah, he brings back a lot of music themes from the original. The, The Japanese music is about what you would expect. You know, sort of a lot of um, oh, sounds like you know, like like windpipes, very reverential. It is, uh, and I will say, if you want to do something better than watch RoboCop three, play the game that was on Super Nintendo and Genesis. It had, um, it's like a side scroller action game, and after like level one or level two, you fight a fire demon. What does it have to do with RoboCop three? Absolutely nothing, except in the title. I don't know. Could be an experiment from. Uh, I, you know, they just made it into a super CP Japanese side scroller, but it's, uh, it's it's pretty fun if not hard. Um, and if you get damaged, it flashes all sorts of green text on the screen. So that's that's just like the movie. So next week we'll be talking about the 2014 remake of RoboCop, and again follow us on Twitter at SequelCast2. Toodaloo.